So if you don't know, I'm an only child. <clears throat> that means that I did not grow up fighting with a sibling. I did miss out. But my best friends, my two best friends growing up, were brothers who were 13 months apart. And I would pretty much spend every weekend at their house, so I got to experience firsthand siblings fighting all the time. I mean, these two brothers fought constantly. I mean, physically fight, verbally fight. They'd fight about who won the argument that they just had. Yet, in spite of all the conflict, they, to this day, are probably the two closest siblings that I've ever seen. Like, they love each other. They're not Christians, but they love each other in a way I've never seen siblings love each other. And the reason was this. Every time they would fight, their mother would grab their arms and go like this and bring them together. And she would help them kind of walk through the conflict. Why are you upset? What did he do to you? What did, why are you upset? What did he do to you? Well, you're wrong here, so you need to apologize to him. You're wrong here, so you need to apologize. And you need to hug each other because you're brothers and you love each other. And that seemed to get through. But what that mom did was she mediated. She stood in the gap when there were conflicts in the relationship and breaches in the relationship, and she was the means whereby the two came back together. She mediated. She was the one who facilitated reconciliation and a restoration of closeness. Now, unlike my friends, humanity is not in a sibling spat with God. There is not some, God did something wrong, we did something wrong, and we're just clashing and separate. No, humanity has rebelled against God, and humanity has sinned against God, and God has done nothing. But that sin that humanity has committed from the garden onward has separated us. The relationship that once was close is now split. But the good news is there is one that's far better than any mom mediating that stands in between the two parties and brings them back together. There is a mediator, one who bridges the gap who restores fellowship and restores closeness. And that is Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage that talks about priests. And priests are mediators. They stand in the gap and facilitate the, rec the relationship between God and man. And we're going to argue this morning that all of this priest stuff in the Old Testament is a shadow looking forward to what Ben read this morning, that Christ is our ultimate high priest. So this morning our main point will be this. Closeness to God only comes through Christ. Closeness to God only comes through Christ. <clears throat> we're going to look at three things today. Very simple outline. Number one. And this will all be arguing for why Christ is our mediator. Number one will be because of who he is. Chapter 28 and 29, we're going to look at some things about the priest and who they are and show how Jesus is better than all that. So number one, Jesus is our perfect mediator because of who he is. And then secondly, we're going to draw some things out of chapter 30 and say he's our perfect mediator because of 
what he does. So who he is, what he does, and then lastly, we're going to take a step back and look at chapter 25 to 31 and say, what does it mean for us? Who he is, what he does, what does it mean for us? With that said, chapter 28. So thus far in the book of Exodus, what we have seen is that God has redeemed this people Israel. He's brought them into this relationship with him at Mount Sinai where he gives them the law. He's revealed himself in the law. And they agree to it, and he enters in formal covenant relationship with them in chapter 24. And last week we saw that once he's entered into covenant relationship with them, he now says, you need to build me a house because I'm going to live with you. I'm going to dwell in your midst. And last week we, we looked from Genesis to Revelation at five kind of movements the Bible does where God dwells with his people. He does so in creation. He does so in the tabernacle slash temple. Ultimately, he does so in the person of Jesus Christ. Fourth, we saw the church. And then lastly, at all points, the new heavens and new earth. But the dilemma is this. And this is why we don't just end with chapter 27. Is that a holy God has now come to dwell with sinful people. How is that going to work? This God's holiness is dangerous for sinful people. So if he's going to live in their midst, how is that going to happen? The answer is a mediator. We now begin with priests. So chapter 28, we'll read verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, from among the people of Israel, to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And he shall speak to all the skillful, or you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron and your, your brothers and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. Chapter 28 is going to deal all with what the priest wears. So our first point, kind of under who Jesus is, how he is a perfect mediator, is that he's a perfect representative of both God and man. And that's what we're going to see in the priest's clothing. First, let's just see how the priest represents God. Starting in chapter 28, verse 6, they're to make an ephod. And an ephod is to be made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, do you remember last week when we went through the tabernacle? What is the material that was on the inside of the tabernacle? It was all gold, purple, scarlet, and blue linens. Fine twine linens. So this ephod is going to be a reflection of the inside of the tabernacle. And you're going to move on to the breastpiece in chapter, or verse 15. The breastpiece is supposed to be made of what? Gold. 
blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine twine, linen. You'll move on to verse 31. The robe is all blue. You move on to verse 36. And his turban, the, the thing that will be on his head, has a gold piece that's engraved holy to the Lord. So what we're saying, the first thing is that the, the priest will represent God to the people. Whenever the priest comes out of the tabernacle, the people will see a reflection of what's on the inside of the tabernacle. The priest is not God, but the, the priest will be a representative of who God is to the people. So that when the people come and bring their sacrifices, they're coming to one who's a reflection, a representative of the God that lives in the tent. The priest reflects God. But the priest will do so imperfectly. We'll see in a moment, I don't want to get too far ahead, this, the priests will fail. They won't perfectly represent God. They'll sin. They'll rebel. God will judge them. But Jesus is a perfect representative of God. Just turn with me. We'll do a little bit more turning today than we normally do, but Hebrews chapter 1. And if you want to just put a bookmark in there, we're only really going to flip to Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verse 3, says this. Speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus is a perfect representative of who God is. He is the perfect image of God, the radiance of the full glory of God. When He comes to earth, we have a perfect representative of God. Why? Skip down to verse 8. Because He is God. You read verse 8, and look at what it says. But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, Your God, has anointed You with the oil of gladness beyond Your companions. Jesus perfectly represents God. Why? Because He's God, the second person. He's God come in the flesh. He is not a, a mere human who has to wear clothing that will reflect the inner glory of the tabernacle. He is the glory of God. Perfectly come down to earth and showing us who God is. Jesus brings God to humans. And that's what the priest was in his clothing <clears throat> representing. Here's God. When you come to the entrance of the tabernacle, you're coming before God. And the priest as a mediator is saying, here's a picture of God. But if you go back <clears throat> to Exodus 28, that's not the only thing that these, these items of clothing represent. They also bring the people to God. The priest not only was supposed to be a reflection of God to the people, he was a reflection of the people to God. Look at the ephod. <clears throat> In verse 8 of chapter 28, he's, he's to have these two stones on his shoulder. And these two stones are going to have six names on each piece. One shoulder will have six names of the tribes of Israel. The other shoulder will have six other names of the tribe of Israel. 
And in verse 12, chapter 28, verse 12, here's the reason these stones are on his shoulder. You shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders for remembrance. And there's more. The breast piece. There's going to be 12 stones on the breast piece. And on each stone will be a different name of the tribe of Israel. And look at chapter 28, verse 28. Here's the reason that these stones have names on them. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of, of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them regularly to remembrance before the Lord. What is he doing? He's reflecting on his clothing, God to the people. But when he comes into the tabernacle, when the high priest goes in once a year to the Holy of Holies, he's bringing the people before God. He is a mediator, an in-between, a representative of both parties, taking their arms, not saying that God did anything wrong, but bringing them together. He's bringing heaven and earth together. God and sinners together. And he's saying, sinners, here's God. And God, here are these sinners. And he's bringing them together. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus chapter 1 is the full radiance of the glory of God representing God to humanity. But chapter 2 then takes a twist. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus becomes man. And the language is taken out of chapter 28 of the book of Exodus. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, speaking about why Jesus became man, why he took on flesh and blood and the likeness of humanity. Verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, it's a big word, propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus takes on flesh. He brings God to earth, representing God in his glory and radiance. And as a man, he represents us perfectly to the Father. And that big word with a P, propitiation, simply means to, to satisfy the requirements of judgment on our behalf. As a human, he presents his sacrifice and he brings us before the Father. And we'll get more into that later as to what that does. But just notice who Jesus is. Colossians 2 will tell us he is the God-man. Perfect God. Perfect man. Bringing humanity and God together. Mediating perfectly. Everything the priest was supposed to be a, a reflection of God in their clothing and, a, and bringing Israel before the Father on his clothing, Jesus is in his person. Fully God. Fully man. He is qualified to be a perfect mediator to make you close to God because of who He is. 
because of who he is. He brings parties together. You'll notice in chapter 28, we, we don't have to get in there, but on his robe will be bells. Why? Because if he does something wrong in the Holy of Holies, he can drop dead. And if they stop hearing bells moving, they know he dropped dead, and he's got a rope around him, they pull him out. You never have to worry about that with Jesus. He doesn't need bells on any clothing because he will never sin. He's a perfect high priest. He's perfect. Chapter 29 will tell us more about who he is that makes him qualified to be our high priest. So our first point under who he is in chapter 28 is he's a perfect representative of God and man. Secondly, in chapter 29, he's qualified to be our high priest, our mediator, because he's sinless. In chapter 29, the priests have to be consecrated. There is a, here are, here's the ritual that will set them apart as priests. So chapter 29, starting in verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat and flour. You shall put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird them with, skillfully woven, with a skillfully woven band of ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be, shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So you're going to bring them and you're going to wash them. You're going to anoint them with oil and you're going to put these clothing on them. And then begins a number of sacrifices. In verse 10, we're going to find the first thing is the sin offering. So they're to bring uh, before Aaron an animal, a bull, and he's going to lay his hands on the head of the bull. And the reason he lays his hands on the head of the bull is it's a symbolic sign that his sins are being transferred from him to this animal. And his, his sins are laid on this animal. And the animal is killed as a substitute in his place, dying the death that the priest deserved so that he can be right with God. Judgment satisfied for his sin so that he's no longer in breach of relationship with God. Justice satisfied. Why does he have to have a sin offering? Because he's a sinner. Because he's a human. Because he's guilty. And there's more. He has to then, after this, he has to bring a burnt offering, starting in verse 15. He's going to bring two rams. One of the rams, he he, ha- he lays his hands on, and it's killed, and the blood is, is sprinkled on the altar. And the other ram is killed, and some of the blood is placed on his, the, lo- the lobe of his right ear, and on his right thumb, and on his right big toe. 
And a burnt offering could be used for a number of purposes in the book of Leviticus. It could be part of atoning, but it also showed consecration or being set apart. The priest is set apart. And just like we saw in chapter 24 where blood was sprinkled on the altar and blood was sprinkled upon Israel, the nation, the priest has the same thing happen to him. He's set apart for this work. And lastly, there's a a food offering which shows fellowship where, where he and God commune. But you notice, the priest had to be atoned for. That means he had to have his sins removed before he could enter into the priesthood, before he could go before the Lord and come into the holy place, and especially before he goes into the holy of holies. Why? He's no different than us. He's a human. He's guilty. He can't just waltz into the throne of God. Yet, did you hear the passage that Ben read this morning? Our high priest Christ, he's sinless. He's holy. He's separated from sinners. He's guiltless. He has no need for sacrifices for himself. He has no need for for laying his hands on the head of a bull or a goat or a ram or anything because he's perfect. He's perfect. He's spotless. In and of Himself, He knows no sin. In and of Himself, living under the law as a man, He perfectly loved the Lord God with all of His heart, and He perfectly loved His neighbor as Himself. Our High Priest, Christ, is one who knows no sin. He's guiltless. He's spotless. That is good news for us. Just think about the person of Christ. He is a perfect representative of God to humanity because he's God. He's a perfect representative of man to God because he took on flesh. And he lived sinlessly. So the one who stands between you and God is not like the Old Testament priests. Just consider how they did, right? They're atoned for, they're made right, but just think about Aaron. The next chapter we're going to get into next week is chapter 32, and where do we find the high priest? What is he doing? He's making an image. His sons, Nadab and Abihu, take over after him, and in Leviticus 10, literally fire comes out from the tabernacle and consumes them because they did what they wanted to do rather than what God wanted. Think about Eli and his sons and how they misused the priesthood to to take advantage of people and steal food and and take advantage of women. they're, They're guilty. When you get to Hosea, one of the jobs of the priest was to teach the law. And Hosea's indictment of Israel is you are consumed for a lack of knowledge. The priests no longer teach the law. The priests are supposed to represent God to the people, to speak. God's words to the people and to bring the people before God. In every stage of Israel's history, just like all of Israel's kings, the priests fail. The priests fail. Praise God when you get to Christ, He never fails. He never will fail. He's perfect. Why does Jesus qualify 
as a perfect mediator because of who He is. He's God in the flesh who never sins. Oh, and by the way, He's always going to be your high priest. Unlike the Old Testament where Aaron dies and his sons die and his grandsons die and his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandsons die, Jesus is a high priest who lives forever. So it's not like we have a high priest who, like, oh, he's a wonderful high priest, but he dies 10 years later. He lives forever. He'll always be the one who mediates between God and man. Well, Jesus qualifies to be your high priest, your mediator, to bring you close to God, also because of what he does. Chapter 30. You're going to have to... I have to put your thinking cap on for a moment to see where I'm getting this from because we're going to read the first paragraph and you're going to say, what does that have to do with anything? Jesus, number one, intercedes for you. He is qualified to be your high priest because of what he does. The first thing we'll see is he intercedes. So look at what we do. We're going to read about the altar of incense and you're going to say, what does that have to do with intercession? Well, we'll get there. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top, and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its moldings, on two opposite sides of it you shall make them, and you, they shall be as holders for poles with which to carry it. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put, put it in front of the veil that is above the ark on the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or burn off a burnt offering or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. You shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now, the whole question becomes, why are they offering incense in the holy place right before the door of the Holy of Holies? The book of Psalms and the book of Revelations equate the prayers of the saints with the going up of the incense. The, these, these, this incense that's continually burning right before the Holy of Holies is a symbol of the priest coming and offering sacrifices of prayer for the people. And when you get to Leviticus, this incense goes up as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, which means He accepts them. He's pleased with them. The whole point is the priest is representatively showing in this act that he prays on behalf of the people of Israel. And the Lord hears his prayer. And the Lord inclines his ear to do those things. And you get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. And Christ ever lives to make intercession for 
you. He ever lives to plead for you. The book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say, When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That when we're guilty and our sin goes up before the Lord and cries out, wrong, judgment. When, when the accuser stands before the Father and says, that's your child, look at them. You're going to call that one yours? Do you see what they do? do? You know what they think. Look at what's in their mind. You see the secret life of that person and their desires, and you say that one? Look how guilty they are. Look at what they look at. Look at what they do. Look at what comes out of their mouth. And the Son is there ever making intercession, saying, they're yours. Behold the hands. Behold the scars. Behold the blood. It's paid for. I've stood in the gap. I've paid the debt. And Father, don't forget it. Don't forget I paid for that one. Don't forget I cleansed that one. He ever lives to intercede as your high priest. You are brought near to God because of who Jesus is. And you are kept near to God because of what He does. He pleads for you. Robert Murray McShane, the old dead Scottish preacher, said this, If I could but stand by the door of his prayers, I'd fear nothing. And then he said, but distance makes no difference. His word tells me he intercedes and it vanquishes. That means it, it removes all fear. What do I have to dread? if Christ prays for me? What do I have to fear if He has told me He's paid the debt and He brings it continually before the Father when I'm accused? He intercedes for you if you're in Him. Praise God for that truth. Continually. It's not like He does it every once in a while, gets tired of doing it, takes a break for 20 years or so, and you're like, oh no, is he praying? No, he continually is there pleading your case. And his father, the father does not turn away the son. He always listens to the son. His son's offering of prayers, the incense that goes up are always a sweet-smelling aroma. They're always accepted. Secondly, he is qualified to be your mediator because of what he does. He pays your debt. Now here's where we have to kind of expand the priesthood out to the book of Leviticus. One of the main points of the priesthood is that they're the ones that Israel brings sacrifices to. In Leviticus 1 through 7, there, there's all this list of sacrifices. And there's this bloody section. It's just shedding blood everywhere. And they bring it to the priest. And the priest is the one who offers the sacrifice and, and brings it to to the, to the Lord and anoints this and anoints that. And then we get to the Day of Atonement. And the high priest is the one who lays his hands on the head of one and kills it, brings the blood into the Holy of Holies and atones for the sin of Israel. And the other one is, is thrown out into the wilderness. Their sins removed. Well, who does that? Who mediates that work? It's the high priest. In Jesus Christ, doesn't do that every year. He doesn't do it every 10 years. 
He doesn't do it every century. He did it once for all. His sacrifice was sufficient. When He took your sin upon His body, when He willingly took the judgment of God's just wrath upon His body that you and I deserved, when He bled and died in your place and rose from the grave, that sacrifice was presented before the Father and was so sufficient and so powerful, it appeased the wrath of a holy God so anyone who comes by repentance and faith would be forgiven. His work of sacrifice makes Him a perfect mediator. Do you realize what we're saying? There's nothing you could ever do to satisfy God's justice. No good works that you do, no religious service that you do, no Bible memory that you do would ever satisfy God's requirements. Nothing on earth could satisfy them. The blood of goats and bulls could satisfy for a while, but it had to keep happening. The blood of Christ is so valuable and so powerful, it removes your guilt forever. Why is he qualified to be your mediator? He intercedes for you, but he also bled for you. He is your sacrifice. Christ is the high priest who presents the sacrifice, and he is the sacrifice. He's the substitute that stands in the place between you and God. All the curse falls to him that all the blessing might fall to you. He is wounded, and you are healed. He's judged, you're forgiven. And he stands as a mediator. He stands bringing the two parties together, reconciling. You can be close to God. You can be near him. You can come into his presence and you can be relationally close to him because there is a mediator. It's God in the flesh who never sins, who intercedes, and who dies for you. So our last point, number three, will be, how does this really apply to us? And this is where we kind of have to expand the scope once more to the big picture of how chapter 25 to 31 fits in the book of Exodus. Well, God will dwell in their midst. But what did he tell them they are to be in chapter 19? They are to be a nation of priests. They're, they're to be, in a sense, mediators between God and the world. They're to be ones who stand in that gap and, and proclaim to the world and show to the world who God is and how they could be right with God. That's a big task. You and I are given the same task. We are called in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, we're called the temple of God. And that temple is expanding. It's a, it's a temple that's growing by people. And we as a nation of priests today are called to do the same thing. We're to mediate between God and the nations. We, we are to be people who stand in the gap. We're not the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. But we are to be ones who call people to be reconciled to God through the Son. And if you're like me, you're like, how are we going to do that? 
That's impossible. You want me to go do what? Well, there's good news. Chapter 31, God will equip his people for everything he's called them to do. God will give you a task, but he'll, he will give you the means whereby to accomplish the task. And here in chapter 31, the task was specifically for Israel to build the tabernacle. And it's supposed to be this beautiful tabernacle with detail and, and all kinds of carvings and metalwork and embroidery. And you're like, what happens if nobody can do that stuff? What happens if nobody can make a cherubim look pretty? And what happens if nobody among the nation knows how to work with gold? And what are they going to do? Well, the good news is we find in chapter 31 that the Lord equips his people. Chapter 31, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Basilel, it's a great name, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. How will they do this work that God has called them to? God gave them the ability. He put his spirit in them. He distributed a variety of gifts to them. We're not called to build a physical tabernacle, but when you look at how the New Testament describes the temple, which is the church, it expands through people who are part of the tabernacle temple. It's God's people that God uses to build up his temple. It's God's people that he uses to bring more people to build the tabernacle temple. How are we going to do that? He distributes gifts to his people. He gives his people all that they need to do all the work that he's called them to. He's given you gifts. He's given me gifts, and He's put His Spirit inside all of us, not just two of us, but all of us. Why? To accomplish His purpose. He's given you gifts to use for the furtherance of His glory and the building up of His people and the spread of the gospel. He has given us this task, and He has given us this ability. How are we using it? How are we using the gifts the Lord has given us? How are we using those spirit-given gifts? Are we using them for ourselves? Are we not using them? Are we using them for the building up of the body of Christ? A couple of months ago, we, we talked about kind of the vision slash mission for this year, and we, we talked about it's going to be the same every year. We're to preach the gospel to the lost, and we're to make disciples. And those are two things, when I think about them in the flesh, that are terrifying. But he's given all of us gifts, and he's given us his spirit to be used to help each other follow Christ and to bring the gospel to the lost. And he'll accomplish the work through us. So when we see here, we have a high priest who mediates. He is in and of himself a perfect representative of God, and man, he is in himself, in and of himself, a sinless high priest. He does the work of interceding. He does the work of sacrificing. And he commissions his people 
to be priests in this world, to spread His glory through the Gospel, to bring Christ to the world, to be little mediators for Him. Let me ask this question. As we end, do you enjoy closeness to God? You have access to Him at any time because of Christ. Do you enjoy that access? Do you take advantage of that access? Do you, do you come near before Him and commune with Him? That was the whole point of bringing these two parties together. We'll close, though, with this. Look back. One verse. Exodus chapter 29, verse 46. The whole point of all of this priest and tabernacle stuff is summarized in one verse. Verse 46. Remember last week we said what humanity lost at the garden was two things. We lost the knowledge of God and we lost the presence of God. Humanity is expelled from the garden and they cannot dwell with God. And every time you read the progression in the book of Genesis, people don't know who God is. And the whole purpose of redemption is to restore what we lost. To restore a knowledge of God. The whole book of Exodus. That they may know, that they may know me, that they may know me, that they may know me. And in the tabernacle, He restores His presence. That I may dwell with them again. And in one verse, we take both of those strands, tie them together, and look at what our mediator gives us. A knowledge of God and His presence. Again, verse 46. They shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Your high priest does so much more. He perfectly restores a knowledge of God. And he perfectly restores the presence of God. It's not behind a tent. It's not behind a veil. He lives with us. And we look forward with hope to a day when the veil is completely lifted and we know him as he is. And we live with him unhindered. And the whole reason that happens is because we have a perfect high priest. Father, we come and we just thank you so much for your son. Thank you that he stands always making intercession. We thank you that he is the sacrifice that makes right our relationship with you. We just thank you for who he is in and of himself, a sinless, perfect representative of God and man. Father, we praise you that you pursued us and restore the relationship through your Son. Praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.